Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. What is this week's gratitude blooming theme? It is card number 16, Touch Me Not, representing sorrow. Oof, sorrow. So before we jump into the topic of sorrow, let's just describe, or would you describe what this illustration looks like? What does the touch me not look like through the eyes of the artist Arlene Kim Suda? Well, I see four beautiful open flowers and they have five petals each in each of the four flowers and the leaves almost feel like they're supporting or lifting up each of the four flowers and on the right hand corner you see the word sorrow written um, almost as a, a support for this constellation of four flowers this flower is so uh gentle mm. and you can't help but sort of You see like the dark marks at the center of each of the petals and it just, there does feel like a sadness uh, in almost like these are the eyes and there's like a slight little just sort of darkness. Not, And I think what I appreciate about it is that it's not all dark. It's just like there's a little bit of there, right? And I think a a little bit of sorrow goes a long way. Um, (laughs) That should be the title of this podcast. A little bit of sorrow goes a long way. Just the fact that there's a flower called Touch Me Not. There's got to be an amazing sort of story in that. But I'd love to hear a little bit more of some of the research you found on this flower. Yeah, it's incredible to think that, Omar, this is the second to last of this season of the 39 collection. That's amazing. Yeah, and I feel like we've grown um, so much through this weekly exploration, and I think we're ready for a little bit of sorrow today (laughs) with the Touch Me Not. Well, interestingly enough, the, the actual plant name is actually called the Impatience. It's part of a genius of more than a thousand species of these flowering plants, and they mostly reside in the Northern Hemisphere in the tropics. And so this uh, touch-me-not flower representing sorrow, it's an interesting, you know, wondering, like, how how did this beautiful flower get named touch-me-not? And, and it's interesting because it's actually based on the way the seed pollinates. So um, once the seed is, is the capsule is ready to be uh, propagated, it actually, with the slightest touch, the seed shoots out and explodes, just like the humility plant we had talked about. And these seeds can shoot up to 25 inches out just to disperse this flower and prevent it from overcrowding. So, you know, it maybe there's this energy of impatience that you might feel from it. Um, and so this was a the namesake, the touch me not, you know, be careful if you touch it, it might shower you. It might explode. <laughs> and I love this idea that just even from the the nature itself, it's sort of like, you know, the expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Mm. This is almost the opposite of that, which is like, hey, how do we actually project out as far as we can because we don't really want to be that close to each other. I mean, that's so amazing that evolution kind of you know you just imagine like the apple falling straight from the tree it just goes down like gravity just drops it whereas you're saying this seed explodes and sort of projects out because you know it wants to kind of widen its 
territory. That's so fascinating. And going back to this idea of right relationship we talked about last week, right? In in this case of this plant, it wants to be spread out and it wants its beauty to kind of expand out. And um, so mm-hmm. it, it automatically disperses in in that that you know with those distances and interestingly it also has a lot of different um healing properties so a lot of native american tribes um in in this hemisphere um have used it topically to uh treat like poison ivy any kind of rash or like a, a stinging of insects or even nettle um you can use it as an herbal remedy um i read somewhere that it has a chemical compound that it, they put in preparation H. So, you know, pharmaceutical <laughs> companies have used it, um, not just our... I didn't see that one. Yeah, coming. native <laughs> tribes. So going back to the herbal traditions, um, it's also a component that's been used in um, dyes. So um, in the Indian tradition, they use it for henna. And in China, they actually use it to make a dye uh, for um, nail polish. So interesting how it's been used as a beauty, you know, product as well. And is it the color red or what 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 is the color? Um, I'm only looking at the black Well, and white in in here. this case, I think it produces kind of a a a, a reddish tone. Um mm. and it's in within ancient China that you'd mashed it with rose and orchid petals as well to kind of create a reddish color. It's interesting, you know, impatience is like my word and in Latin, the root means patis or to suffer. And so it's just, I don't know, it's just fascinating to sort of imagine this flower that's so impatient to that it'll explode (laughs) upon touching, right? It's just like bursting, you know, at the seams. And, you know, that's what impatience feels like. It's just like, ah, things can't happen soon enough. And you're like, you're sort of pent up. And as soon as anybody goes, hey, boop, and then you're like, ah. Right, like this exploding sort of experience. That's such an um, interesting sort of connection to this flower. So, any other um, insights in your research? You know, we've been talking about the gratitude ecosystem, Omar, and um, I've been kind of zoning in too, just on what is around these plants, what grows, what inhabits these, uh, you know, the the ecosystem around these plants. And for the touch me not, uh, it actually produces the nectar. Um, for hummingbirds. And so it, it actually is five to 10% sometimes of the hummingbirds uh, diet. This beautiful flower feeds the bees, the butterflies, grasshoppers, beetles, some, you know, small birds as well. So just I could just imagine just all these beautiful colors of this flower and and all of the, you know, animal kingdom kind of coming towards it as well just to to feed and enjoy it as you know in this whole scene Mm. yeah i I love this introduction into our flowers the pollinators you know and and for our nft launch on april 8th you know we you know because of you actually you know coined this term the meta garden you know, and the meta garden is is where you know in real life meets these flowers and you know pollinators, and you know just really starting to appreciate the many ways that we can come together. 
The other part that kind of connects with this idea of interconnectedness and wholeness that we were talking about last week, Omar, is um, the gender of the flower. So biologically, this flower remains male until the first bloom. And then after that, Hmm. the pollen cap sheds off and then they start revealing female organs. So how beautiful is that, that they're just whole in all of the ways that they can, you know, propagate themselves. I feel like gender for my daughters is all they talk about now. Like it's, it's way beyond LGBTQIA plus it's, it's like this pan sort of identity. And, and so in many ways, maybe humans are now just starting to embrace the multitude that nature already kind of had him. It's just, it is sort of mind blowing to kind of see some of these correlations happening. So I, I did some research on the word sorrow and the sort of etymology. And I think one of the first things I just found interesting was that it, it relates neither to the word sore nor sorry. So like sorrow is sort of a term unto itself and no surprise. It means grief, regret, trouble, care, pain, anxiety. And, you know, I think the one of the interesting definitions, usually when we do the etymology, it goes back to sort of Old English or Germanic or Latin. But this one also acknowledges the Sanskrit um, mm. root word, which means cares for. And in Lithuanian, it means to be sick. And so sorrow is this sort of malady. And and if you think about sickness, you never say like, I am sickness, right? You say, I have a cold or I am not feeling well. It's something that sort of you recognize as transient. And I think sometimes with emotions, we sort of say, I am happy or, and, or I am sad. Um, and even in this word, you don't say, I am sorrow. You say, I have sorrow. I'm feeling sorrow. And I, I really appreciate that because sometimes when it gets to emotions, we get attached to something and then we say, we are that thing as opposed to this is just this temporary emotion that I'm feeling. It doesn't make it less than or more than what it is, but it recognizes the sort of temporary nature of it. And just looking at this illustration again, it just feels, yeah, it it feels impermanent. It feels like it's not what defines the flower completely, but there's this, yeah, there's just like today, this is what it feels like. And I appreciate that. Um, it can just be a gentle reminder that comes and goes. Just don't poke too hard because <laughs> the seed might explode. <laughs> you know, I, I really appreciated last week's conversation around wholeness and it really sort of unlocked, you know, it's like every so often you have one of those insights that just keeps on giving mm. And, you know, when you sort of pushed me, as you sometimes do, to be like, well, what does it feel like? And not just where does it feel like, like, where do you feel it in your body? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was really sort of pushing through what does wholeness feel like? And, you know, at first I said it feels like being in the zone and it's like a very sports, you know, idea of like being in the flow. And and there's like, you know, one of my favorite definitions of being in the flow, it's where self-discipline and inspiration meets. But as we 
sort of progressed in the conversation, it really came to me that the feeling of wholeness was like being carried by a river, right? And, you know, the specific image I had was, you know, if you've ever gone whitewater rafting and every so often they let you jump out of the boat to go through these called swimmer rapids. So they're like big enough rapids where it's a lot of fun, but not sort of any big dangerous rocks that it's dangerous. And that buoyancy of being carried in the river is really how I felt wholeness uh, in a very real way. And I was in a conversation the following day where we were talking about practices like habits. And when we talk about gratitude as a practice, um, you know, one thing that we say is that, you know, a practice is anything that disrupts a habit. Um, and habit is anything that we do sort of by default. And sometimes we think about habits like, oh, I drink coffee every day or, you know, I turn on Netflix, you know, you know, before going to bed. And, you know, we think about those kinds of habits, which are maybe kind of let's call them routines which are a little bit different than emotional habits, right? An emotional habit might be like, oh, whenever I'm in this kind of situation, uh, this is how I react, you know? Or sometimes if something doesn't go in a certain way, I tend to, my default habit is to blame someone else, right? So blame can become Mm -hmm. a habit. And so it really started to sort of open up like, oh, you know, like, Gratitude is this reminder to disrupt not just routines, but some of these emotional habits that we carry. But as we sort of progress in the conversation some more, I kind of realized like we talk about gratitude as this reminder. And, you know, and it sort of evoked this word to remember, right? To become a member again, to feel connected, right? And I was like, oh, that's like that wholeness, right? It was like, oh, I can remember what it feels like to be connected with others and the buoyancy that I feel uh, in that experience. But then my brain sort of exploded because as we progressed in the conversation and the series that I'm participating in is called The Art of Waging Peace. It was like, what does it mean to forget? And I kind of realized we live in a culture that really likes to forget things. Like you even think about like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Like sometimes those are fun. Sometimes those are ways to numb pain. Mm. You know, and I'm going to bring it back to sorrow somehow here. But like forgetting, we live in a culture of forgetting. And I think sometimes also the sort of the pain of that is what does it mean to feel forgotten, right? To feel dismembered, disconnected from community, from the people in your lives. You know, and sometimes we do that because we don't feel sort of comfortable to being vulnerable and open to sort of connecting in these intimate ways. Or maybe because we've been hurt and there's sort of trauma, you know, that's blocking that. And it just, I don't know, I really was just sort of struck by, you know, even when you think about the word forget, like, you know, people are forgetting things. They want to get things because we live in a culture of always wanting more as opposed to forgiving, which is what does it mean to sort of give first as opposed to get first? 
Some people want to forget without forgiving. And, you know, just as really thinking about this word sorrow, right, which is such an easy word to want to resist, right, to not want to connect, to to numb whatever that pain might be, to sort of dismiss maybe that little bit of sadness that might be there. It made me feel actually a little bit more comfortable to realize like, hey, the practice of gratitude is hard, not just because I don't remember, but it's because we actually live in a culture that is actually not trying to always remember. It wants to move forward. It wants to sort of look ahead. It doesn't always want to look backwards um, because there's so many things that it's easier to forget than to forgive. So the artist Arlene Kim Suda spent 100 days illustrating 100 different plants. And she was so deep into that practice that she heard, in many ways, the plants speak to her. And I love that they spoke to her through the language of emotion. Mm. And so as she was looking at this touch-me-not plant, I'd love to hear her story of how it came to be. Here is the story of the sorrow card, featuring the touch-me-not, a plant also known as impatience. This is sort of an interesting and maybe a little unsettling card when it comes up, isn't it? It was surprising even to me that this flower led me to the theme of sorrow. I was visiting my parents and always on the lookout for flowers to add to my list to draw for my 100-day project. And this was one of the plants growing on their windowsill. When I asked what it was called, my mom said it was the impatience, and she specifically had a memory of using the plant to dye her nails when she was growing up. Apparently, that is a thing in Korea. When I looked up information about the flower when I got home, I saw that it was also called the touch-me-not, and I immediately connected this flower to the word sorrow based on one of my favorite works of art called Noli Mi Tangeri by Fra Angelico, an early Renaissance monk and painter. Noli Mi Tangeri is Latin for touch-me-not or do not hold on to me. The term is known as the words Jesus said to Mary Magdalene when she tried to embrace him before he ascended into heaven. His gesture, along with the words, symbolizes how she must learn to let go of any attachment to his physical existence and trust in their spiritual connection as he is resurrected. That moment is one of the most powerful moments in art history for me because I feel it captures the essence of sorrow. The pain of having to let go and take a leap of faith that we are still connected beyond our physical connections. This was also the moment that I was reminded that there cannot be great sorrow without great love. I've come to learn that it's not a weakness or a curse to feel sorrow. It's just another form of love. Though there really is nothing you can say or do to reduce the grief you feel when it strikes. 
I then realized the connection to other works of art, including Picasso's La Vie and Cezanne's The Magdalene, also called Sorrow. The message I get from these paintings is that sorrow is part of the experience to be human and to love. Sorrow is the ultimate reminder of our ability to deeply love. I so appreciate how artists give us permission to go to these dark depths of just the human experience. You know, it's like I really felt the sorrow in her in her voice. Mm-hmm. And I had to look up the Fra Angelico "Touch Me Not" image, and it does it. It is this image of. Uh, it looks like Jesus and I guess uh, Mary Magdalene. There, Mary is like on her knee, sort of kneeling, and Jesus's sort of hand is like kind of like reaching out, but at the same time, his body is moving away, and they're not actually touching, even though they're you know within arm's reach. And so it's just, yeah, there's this power in how do we be both present and apart at the same time and that tension you know and and i i actually the image that's coming to mind um right now is um khalil gibran and he talks about love being like uh strings on an instrument they're close but they're actually two separate strings and when each string can be sort of in harmony and you sort of pluck one and it vibrates to the other, but they're still not physically touching. And that's what I feel like is so, is that delicate balance in relationships is like, how do you be close enough that you can feel literally like on a musical stringed instrument, the resonance, right? You're not so close though that you can't vibrate, right? Because as soon as you push down on a string, it changes, what it sounds like and and how it can move and and just this sorrow is just this in some ways reminder to sort of find the right balance we talked about being in right relationship last week and like what is the right distance to be with another it makes me think of um my relationship with my husband peter you know we've been together since 2005 uh which i don't know if the math on that it's like a long time <laughs> It's long enough where you like, wow, I feel old saying that. And, you know, 17 years. <laughs> thank you, Omar. And <laughs> um, it's interesting because I, it's what our friends would call our relationship glacial love because it took so much time for the ice to melt. And it was really a me. You know, I feel like my struggle with vulnerability has for a long time been, you know, if I let you get too close to me or if I feel too connected to you, then I'm going to lose, I'm going to, I can be hurt, you know, from the loss of the closeness. The loss of, of your own identity or what loss of what? The loss, if it didn't work out, if I, if I went Mm. there, if I really loved in that kind of open hearted way, just like this flower that's so open, right? Like if it doesn't work out, I'm going to really be like devastated. And I think I 
avoided that depth of love, that that closeness of love for a long time. You know, I was very cautious. And luckily, you know, Peter was very understanding and he could see beyond what I was projecting. And and over time, it the, the glacier melted in a good way in this case. But yeah, I could, I just am like, wow, like, you know, when you think about the impermanence of life too, it's just like knowing that all of these things are eventually going to change and go away. It, it is hard to not tighten that grip, you know, on, on it because you want to hold, keep it like it is. And um, how does it, what is it like then to love in that kind of surrendered way in that like way of trust of it, it could be better. It could be, it's still here in a different form. And um, that's kind of what's coming up. Just even hearing the story of Arlene and, and what you, what you're sharing too, about this, this idea of attachment, you know, like it's hard to not be attached when you care so deeply. What was it that, finally allowed you to trust that patience in a different way? I realized I didn't have anything to lose and that holding back prevented something bigger to happen because it felt like stagnant. And and what felt stagnant? The connection, like, you know, it was like only able to go so far before I would like push, pull back. And, and at some point it was like, wow, this is not true. You know, I do feel a deeper love and I need to like stop, you know, holding it back. Gotta be like that seed and project (laughs) out. Um, Well, you know, as uh, we go through these practices each week, what is the prompt that you sort of found that reflected this insight um, that Arlene had. And I I always love that Arlene, one, I just, I want to meet her parents one day because I feel like so many of the flowers were inspired by them. Um, And the fact that her mom painted her nails in, you know, Korea with the dye from a, and then she has, Arlene has such a great, appreciation for art history and i think that's in some ways that's part of the practice of remembering is looking Mm. backwards you know and so the fact that arlene has this deep appreciation for art history from a variety of different places and inspiration and so this idea of then learning to just always remember so that you're not forgetting and you're able to be present to what is so what was the prompt that uh inspired Uh, you with this flower so it's card number 16 touch me not flower representing sorrow sorrow can come from the courage to love acknowledge the bravery behind any sorrow you notice or feel well because we've gone through now almost all the full deck so almost all 39 cards and i now know that the word courage uh, comes from French, I think, core, which means heart. And so the fact that courage is recognizing the heartfulness, you know, and this is something that you and I have been talking a lot about, which is, you know, a lot of sort of dominant kind of uh, 
focus on meditation and mindfulness. Like meditation is trying to help you become more mindful. And, you know, I think the narrative that we're trying to sort of shift to is like, how does gratitude get us to heartfulness? We've had a good run of mindfulness, sort of the rational approach to things in it. And it's sort of saying like, how do we actually recognize the irrational? Like that sorrow is actually okay. Not, not only is it not only okay, it's actually essential, right? Because sorrow is in some ways that reminder of like, oh, I've got to find the right distance in this relationship. Because if we only knew pleasure or joy, then we wouldn't actually know and we'd be like falling on top of each other, right? Like this flower knows that if it just drops its seeds down, it's going to suffocate itself, right? That it actually needs to project its seeds further out in order to create enough room for future generations. Um, And so what is the courage and heartfulness that really inspired you to move through that glacial love? I think ultimately it was the greater possibility, you know, like the spectrum of emotion that comes from being in such an intimate relationship, like a marriage, it's, it's not easy yet. It's one where you grow to be the fullest expression of yourself because you're constantly learning how to be in relationship with someone else. And, you know, I sometimes think about, my gosh, like, I can't imagine what it would be like to live without Peter at this point, right? And, like, I always jokingly jokingly tell him, like, I think it'd be better for me to go (laughs) first and you to be here on the earthly plane Um, because I couldn't bear the other way around, you know? And it's a little bit morbid to think about that, but... But then you know that you you're in it and and so maybe this sorrow theme of sorrow, you know, having the courage to love is really about loving so much yet being able to let go, you know, when ultimately, right? And to know that this love is bigger than just the day-to-day love. What I also appreciate about this and again this is coming on you know towards the end of this 39 deck series, when you talk about possibility, what I now hear is infinite possibility. Um, and, and what I love about that is in our rational mind, we love our logic. If this, then that. The challenge is that then we really oftentimes create a very small worldview of what is actually possible. And to really embrace sort of an infinite sort of possibility, we actually have to be open to imagining things that we can't even yet sort of think are possible. Um, You know, I work, I used to work on the LA River and the person who really inspired a lot of that work was a poet. And he said, if it's not impossible, I'm not interested. Hmm. Right. And, you know, and for the, you know, the LA River is this 51 mile, it used to be sort of uh, an ephemeral river. And it's where, you know, LA is located. Uh, downtown is located where it is because of the LA River. And we've forgotten that oftentimes. And then we turned it into this concrete channel. And so we constrained it. And so he was really trying to then, in some ways, 
rewild it, to sort of reimagine it um, in a new way. And I think that to me is what our emotions allow us to do is push the sense of possibility beyond what our rational mind uh, can even want to fathom because it wants to resist. And this is where I think sometimes we also forget that the mind has this biological bias to see things in a negative way. It has this biological bias to sort of constrain things. And so how do we actually, the emotions are this in some ways reminder to open up. I can't wait to hear a story of sorrow from one of our gratitude circles. And, you know, I, I love that so many different facets of sorrow is emerging for us just in just thinking about this theme. I think there's a very interesting dichotomy with the word sorrow and the flower that touched me on. And the first time I looked at it and, I, and it made complete sense. On the one hand, you have sorrow and it's like, yeah, keep away, touch me not, you know, literally. But on the other hand, it's not turning away from sorrow, but facing it. So it's, it's not keep away, but it's, you can embrace it and, and experience sorrow, but you won't let it affect you. So you won't let it touch you. Um, and I think it's, it's a very interesting dichotomy there in how you can read sorrow and touch me not as keep away or sorrow as you can you can get close but you're not going to get i found that to be very interesting Hmm. i love that distinction between facing towards versus facing away as someone else um and it just shows to me like the importance of witnessing, right? Like so often people don't need you to solve their problems. They just want to be heard. They just want to be seen, you know? And, you know, again, going back to this idea of living in a culture of forgetting, nobody wants to feel forgotten. And so to really just bear witness, to not have to do anything more than that and just acknowledge what is and just sort of, whatever it is, the good, the bad, the ugly. Wow. It's beautiful. Well, it's been interesting um, time on the land. I have to share a, you know, kind of an interesting story related to sorrow. And one of the things that, you know, Omar, you and I talk a lot about is the ritual or the ceremony or the marking of time, you know, and in this journey of, exploring these 39 cards, there's been a, a, in some ways a marking of time through this, right? The seasons changing, you know, the emotions that come with the change. And so on our land at the retreat center, we, um, we recently were able to add three new yurts because we had three different community members that stepped up to say, Hey, I want to contribute to the birth of, of an expansion of the land with these yurts. And, you know, we've been um, thinking, you know, coordinating with these investors who came to help. And and some of them are even uh, attending our uh, residency program uh, for four months to really work on a vision, a creative project. And so once the yurts were built, they were living in them. And, we actually held a ceremony in our 30-foot yurt to really honor 
these uh, community members who are now our co-investors and our co-stewards of the land and and just gave every person a moment to share, you know, how are they feeling in this in this transition from being a patron of this retreat center where this is was the place that you came for your refuge now to being someone that worked on constructing the spaces that you're living in. And now you are creating and visioning from this place and also helping to take care of the land. And something that really I was surprised about was the the grief that some of the people expressed because it was a change. It's like this relationship is no longer what it was. It's not a place where I just go to completely unplug and forget about my life and 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 restore and rejuvenate. It's actually a place now that I have to also take part in taking care of. And and there is a loss there. And and just it was really special to be able to name and mark that change and also just to witness, you know, this has been coming up today, like witnessing the the sadness that can come from the love of something and and also the grief of how it when it is evolving. And yeah, it was just really interesting to experience that, you know, for the first time. You do such a great job of creating rituals. And, you know, and there's so many different kinds, right? From the labyrinth to holding a circle to, you know, what are the, you know, the a fire, like all these different ways that we have ritual that we've forgotten, I would say, you know, in this sort of rush to move from one sort of practice to another, you know, from sort of maybe a society that was dominated by religion and churches, which look by no means was perfect to then sort of saying like, oh, we're now going to sort of embrace science and rational thinking and sort of the industrial kind of approach, you know, and I think this is why I'm excited about Web3 and sort of like, I do feel like there is an emergent sort of culture and way. And I think part of it then, and, you know, what is that meta garden? What are the rituals that we're going to create to help us process, you know, and, and to sort of acknowledge like, okay, maybe grieving on our own is hard. So how do we actually grieve in community and how do we create space for that? And But how do we also then do it in a way that's like, gives you enough space and distance for you? Right. And that's again that right relationships, the sort of being like, okay, too much community, too much time together. Like, you know, if you've anybody's ever had, you know, friends or family overstay their visit, <laughs> you know that feeling. Like, okay. Um, but at the same time, you know, how important that is. And, you know, um, and so yeah, how does ritual help us find that right space uh, and create those sort of transitions? So as we do each week, um, you share a practice, a ritual to really help process these emotions. What do we get to focus on this week? So this week, we're going to honor a change in our lives and to feel the sorrow that's behind some of that change. So this practice is really just feeling the sorrow, just even if it's for a little bit. So I invite you to just take a moment to 
get comfortable um, in your in this moment in your body and just bring yourself back to your breath and today we're actually going to breathe with our hearts so if it's helpful you can even put your hand on your heart gently and as you breathe in just imagining the energy of your breath going into your heart As you exhale, slowly feel your heart expanding with that exhale. Just do that at your own pace for a couple breaths, just to feel this connection to your heart today. And in this moment, I want you to just acknowledge any change that you're feeling right now in your life. It could be the change of just the seasons. It could be a change in your relationship. Maybe something at work. It could just be change in just this more global, universal sense, just this feeling of change in the air. I'm just acknowledging that change is hard. I'm feeling just some t- the tenderness of, of change. And it could be from the love of what is currently and noticing how it's shifting. So for me, it was just feeling the change of the relationships with the people on the land who are now helping to co-steward the land. Feeling the sadness of just a little bit of the change there in that relationship. And just acknowledging that love that we feel that makes change hard. Just letting that go with your breath. Being able to name the sadness and then being able to let it go back out with our breath. Just taking the time to just feel that and then release it. Just honoring the change in our lives by feeling in our hearts, feeling the sorrow that might be there as well. Hmm. Omar. Thank you, Belinda. Omar, for you, what comes up when you connect in with your heart in this moment? 
Hmm. Well, I think after this episode, I I, I think I've shared um, more than enough. Um, and I'm just grateful for that, right? That I have um, the space and place uh, and practices uh, to explore all of these emotions uh, in a way that isn't so charged. Um, and I love this idea of breathing with your heart. That's going to be the name of this podcast. Mm. Breathe with the heart. I love it. Well, thank you, Melinda. Appreciate you. We appreciate the opportunity to share these practices and we look forward to continuing to experiment with how we hold the space uh, to explore these themes. Thank you. Yeah, and for those of you that are looking for opportunities to connect with more deeply with yourself on a day-to-day practice and also with others, try out the Gratitude Blooming card deck at gratitudeblooming.com. It's been a beautiful way to deepen relationships and even explore what's going on with me and myself (laughs) at any given point. Um, It's been such a beautiful invitation to just acknowledge what is going on just by picking a card and seeing what the plant has to say on any given day. Cheers. Cheers.